This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody, my name's Ian Doyle and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast in association with 45, the new free-to-play score prediction game from the pools. Simply predict five correct match scores and you could win £25,000. And even if you suffer a near miss and get four match scores correct, there's still up to two grand to be won. To play 45 this weekend, visit thepools.com and don't forget you need to be in the UK and over 18 to play. Now joining me today on a special podcast as we look back at eight years of FSG rule at Liverpool, as it is of course eight years today since they stepped out onto the steps at the High Courts and said basically we're in charge now, is Joe Rimmer. Hi Joe. Hello Ian. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Excellent. I remember Uh, where I was that day, I was playing poker. Weird. Yeah, I was playing poker, yeah. Did you win? Uh, no, no, I never never won. Oh, well, that's a shame. That's why I stopped playing. Fair enough. Uh, also with me is Christian Walsh. Hi, Christian. Hello, Ian. Were I you? don't remember where I was. <laughs> were, you not, were you not playing poker? Uh, I was not playing poker. Certainly not with Joe. Um, but to be honest, I can't remember where I was at the weekend. So <laughs> to say eight years ago, I'm not quite sure that's possible. <laughs> There's a good reason There's for that. There's a good reason for that, which we'll come to later on. And also, it's Connor Dunn. Hi, Connor. Hello, Ian. Do you remember where you were yesterday? Um <laughs> I'll give you a clue. You were in the office with us. Indeed. We were doing some work. Enjoying and ha- and ha- my life. <laughs> and how are you? I'm very well. And how are you? I'm I'm good. Thanks for asking. None of the other two did. How You're welcome. Them? Indeed. Right. Uh, first off, we'll just go straight in then with the question: Have FSG been a success so far? Yes or no, Joseph Rimmer? Yes. Christian Welch. Yes, with a caveat. Oh. Can't oh, you just do yes can, or no? Christian you can't, 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 do, yes can't, or can't no do yes or no. I'm, I'm like I'm like Rex as I understand on Toy Story. I don't like confrontation. <laughs> it's yes. I'm also saying yes, Connor. It would be rude of me to say no, so it's a yes from me. We're all meant to agree, are we? We are meant to agree. Mm. So okay, we'll start then with the highlights <laughs> of what they've achieved, FSG or New England Sports Ventures, as they were when they uh, first took over for uh, Liverpool. From we can mention Tom Hicks and George Gillette, and that is the only time we're going to mention them now because we don't want to bring the mood down at all. So, what would you say was the highlight so far? What's what's been the grandest achievement, Joe? I think appointing Jurgen Klopp has got to be their best achievement since they came in. Obviously, building the main stand, um, which is given Anfield just a, a new lease of life is brilliant but I think getting a, a manager of the calibre of Jurgen Klopp um, was a massive coup for Liverpool at the time um, I still think it's it's massively changed the way the club is you know they were really struggling before that and the, and now that they seem to be able to attract all the best players and I think that's down to starting the starting point of having a great manager and you know I remember thinking back when Klopp was at Dortmund and you always looked at him and thought he would be perfect for Liverpool um, and I think Loads of us, everyone admired him from afar and, and loads of us would have been in the same boat thinking, yeah, that's the man we want in charge of the club. And, and they went and got him and they were ruthless at the time. I admired the way they did it and um, I think that's got to be their, their most outstanding achievement. I mean, the interesting thing for me is that I never at any point thought that Liverpool could get Jurgen Klopp. Not, no, because, not, not because of Liverpool, the, the, the club with the stature and all that, but because of where they were at the time mm-hmm. and the fact that the likes of Real Madrid were sniffing around Klopp and obviously being on his, his little break after Dortmund. I mean, looking back, Real is probably the last club that someone like Klopp should should really be going to. I mean, Christian, do you agree that Klopp and the main stand are the two main achievements? Absolutely. Um, you know, to use terminology that they'll be very familiar with, they, they, they really hit the home run there, didn't they, with, with Jürgen Klopp? Because Get out. <laughs> Sorry, I had that one on my sleeve. I liked that one, I thought it was good. Uh, no, they've, they've hit the home run. Because it was, it was a ownership-defining decision to do that I believe they had a couple of bites of the cherry previously with 
um, Kenny Dalglish and, and Brendan Rodgers. This was the one that they absolutely had to get right because Liverpool was sort of on the... It felt like they were on the the cliff edge looking down and, and they, they, they had to get the appointment right otherwise they might have tumbled over to the side. And to, to pull off that coup, it I think Joe nailed it, to be honest. Jürgen Klopp is very much the... The, the, the major success because a lot of the success that Liverpool is seeing now, not necessarily in trophies, but in terms of the sustainability of the club and, and the work with the transfer market and the general vibe and good feeling around the club all stems from the appointments of Jurgen Klopp. And Connor, are you in agreement that Jurgen Klopp is the is the main... If FSG were... They're not going to, but if FSG walked out today, that would be their main legacy, Jurgen Klopp. Uh, yeah, I agree. But I'd also just like to add the point that they've massively turned around the club's finances as well. Um, it's absolutely no secret that the club were in pretty dire straits when they came and took over. They wrote off so much debt. And to be able to get the players, to be able to put the infrastructure in, to be able to get Klopp, you need to have the money there. You need to mm. not have these massive debts. And so I would say that's a huge factor as well. I mean, you have to bear in mind as well that Jurgen Klopp joined or uh, October sorry, 2015. FSG had been there for five years by that point. So quite a lot, Joe, had gone on before them for them to get to that point and it, and it, and it wasn't all successes was it no I, I think um, it took them a very long time to to get a clear picture of what they wanted I think if you look back at the way they dealt with transfers the way they dealt with fans and ticket issues the, the way you know they, they, they took their time on purpose with with the main stand and, and Anfield redevelopment and even financially the way the club structured they did take a long time and yeah I think Christian was right in saying that when, when they appointed Klopp they had to get it right and they, they'd gone with perhaps a manager I don't think they ever really intended to give Dalglish the job full time but he'd done such a good job in the six months he'd, he'd come in and, and done it after Roy Hodgson that they had to and then after that I think they intended to go with a young coach um, with Rodgers and I think they hoped that that would be the long term um, answer and it wasn't and then they had to get it right and they, they could have gone back for another young coach they, they could have sort of back themselves to start again but they didn't they went for a, a world class manager and they got him and there wouldn't have been many managers that they could have got and getting Klopp is just an absolute masterstroke it was it, a, sorry I was sorry. just going to say it was a real bold decision to mm-hmm. to do what they did in terms of getting rid of Brendan Rodgers and bringing in Jürgen yeah. Klopp because they'd, they'd given Brendan Rodgers the opportunity over the summer to rectify the wrongs of the 2014-15 season, but the second that they realised that they could upgrade their manager and get somebody who really did fit their model and their philosophy, they did. And this is from a an ownership who, up until that point, I think, with managers and their managerial appointments and decisions around managers, very much dragged the feet. Yeah, I thought yeah. that they... Yeah, so is this, was this them learning, as, as Joe said, to be ruthless because they hadn't really shown that with, with Dalglish? Because they hadn't shown I think everybody, Hodgson. I think everybody... Hodgson, well, to be fair, I Hodgson think they should have pressed the trap door after the derby. I think after that 2-0 Liverpool in the was, relegation zone, I think that was the, the opportunity to say, new ownership, let's start afresh. But then the problem you got there is perhaps the issue that I was going to mention is the fact that, you know, you talk about managers and players learning on the job, but FSG were, weren't they? Because yeah, they course, didn't know yeah. how to, they didn't know how to, they didn't know a lot about football. They didn't know how to run a football club, and they were reliant initially on the likes of Camoli, Damon Camoli, to, to come in and, and, and guide them. And there's no doubt that they would have been reluctant to come across as new owners who wield the axe straight away. I understand that, but and it is hindsight. But it did feel like Hodgson could have gone a little bit sooner than he did. And then they gave Kenny the, the three-year contract, which felt reactionary after mm. a, a good six months. You know, it was just a, a bit of a boost, um, a new manager boost, but the three-year contract felt reactionary. The 
you know, I, I feel like they, they were ruthless with Kenny when they when they decided to to sack him after an eighth place finish. Uh, other ownerships would have said, well, you know, one trophy got to a final of another. You know, the signs of things working, but ultimately they just said, no, we need to take it on a different level. But I mean, even with Brendan Rodgers, I thought that he was very, very fortunate to survive the summer, yeah. especially after the Stoke, Stoke 6-1. Game, yeah, yeah. It, I know it was only a 90-minute thing, but it was the pretty much the epitome of what had been going wrong at the club for the past 12 months. So I was surprised when they decided to do it, to show that ruthlessness. But as you say, as Joe's mentioned, it, it is a sign of them learning from the mistakes. And I think that's how you've got to look at the first eight years. It's, I mean, it's such a wide topic, isn't it? And we, we're, not, we're only going to graze the surface, I think, in this podcast. But it's there have been mistakes made, but there have also been signs that they've rectified them. And that's all you can ask from, from people. You've got to bear in mind, Connor. This is a, a a group that already owns Boston Red Sox and a f- and a few other sporting uh, institutions over in America, and they've all had success there. And so they're not a company or or a group of people who want to be associated with failure. So they see Liverpool as this, I think, as you've written today. The minute they came in, the first thing they said was to yeah, we're here to win. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when you look at the caliber of teams that they already own before Liverpool it's absolutely crazy like you know world-class teams in their individual sports and yeah they did as soon as they came in they said they're going to change the culture to win in ways they're going to just they aim to win they have a history of winning that's what they're going to implement I think looking at the first couple of years of FSG you can't really read too much into the successes or lack of success and lack of league finishes because they inherited a not particularly great club a not particularly great team and they needed to change quite a lot um, the last two seasons, as we've seen, and this season especially, is, have been cracking. You know, five losses and six losses in the last two years, which is a massive change to where they've been in the last sort of six or seven. So, yeah, things are certainly looking up and they're sort of starting to deliver on what they first promised when they came years ago. I mean, Joe, we'll deal then with the situation of FSG and the fans. You can imagine at the time why the supporters had such a distrust because they'd just gone through that the previous era and it's taken FSG a long time because we know from the feedback that we get on our website and whatever have you whenever we do anything on FSG you know FSG apologists our friend yep, James yep. Pierce, our full-time mm-hmm. Liverpool correspondent both home and away who's, who's still away at the moment by the way um, there's always that sense certainly over the first couple of years that FSG they didn't the supporters didn't really buy into what they were trying to achieve even though they'd won that trophy and they could see there was progress on the pitch they still thought well hang on what, what, what's their end game why are they here but there doesn't seem to be as much of that now partly because you know Champions League finalists and up towards the top of the league and with a manager like Jurgen Klopp but also because of the infrastructure that they're putting into into the club you look at the big main stand they're possibly going to redevelop the Anfield Road end, and then there's the situation with moving away from Melwood and building a new training centre up at, at, at Kirby at the academy definitely I think you know, one of the first things they suffered from when they came in is that American owners who were not, well, they, they didn't deserve to be trusted, but who who were distrusted were being pr- replaced by another lot of American owners. And at the time, you know, I remember Save Us, um, DIC, you know, D- Dubai International Capital. I remember signs like that appearing on the cop. And I think people very much wanted to see Liverpool go in a different direction and be bought by someone with, Deep pockets who just splash cash on players. And Peter Lim was he yeah, another? Peter Lim, I think. Yeah, mm. and I, and I think you know at times when there's been rumours of Chinese investment, I think a lot of fans have wanted to see Liverpool go that way because they've seen the likes of Chelsea and Man City have lots of success, and then and FSG set out and never wanted to go that way, and they always said that they would not just splash cash 
that they haven't got on players. I think they, they almost immediately said that, that they wouldn't put the club in a, a difficult financial position just to buy big players. And it, it has been difficult because they've had to do to try and impl- implement their own model alongside watching Man City and Chelsea continue to have so much success based on a different type of model altogether. But I think now we're seeing the fruits of their labour and it's taken a long time, eight years, perhaps isn't the longest time in football terms but it is a long time and I think only now they're starting to win back a lot of their critics and they didn't help themselves with other issues off the pitch in terms of ticketing um, obviously everyone remembers the walkout against Sunderland and, um, but what I've always been impressed with is they've never hid away from criticism they've always sort of stood up and you know and tried to deal with it they've always tried to engage with fans I think and and they've always tried to deal with things that they've done wrong and you know, I, I don't have too many complaints about them. Um, they've signed some really good players in recent years, and I think, again, a big part of that is down to having Jurgen Klopp in charge. Um, but they've put up the money. I mean, Christian, it took them a while to decide on what structure they're going to have in terms of the management structure behind the scenes uh, at Anfield. Now, Mike Gordon basically has the day-to-day running of the club, but it wasn't initially like that, was it? It wasn't. It was... I think one of the big criticisms initially was that there was nobody really mm. based in the UK directing traffic and, mm. and, and how can anybody say that they were fully invested in the club when they were all based in Boston or, or at least, you know, stateside. So it was very much a feeling out process, I think. And I think it was a a situation where, you, I think it's with, with anything, you, you, you a businessman makes a purchase and you're not quite sure what assets you have and, and what what your strengths and what your weaknesses, you know, we all probably did it in business studies for GCSE or I don't know if the adult levels in your day, do we? But, um, just had stones and, and uh, <laughs> tablets. Yeah. You just did cave drawings, mm-hmm. didn't you? Yeah, we had, we had tablets long ago. None of this iPad nonsense, anyway. And, um, you know, you do like your SWOT analysis, your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and I can't remember what the C stands for. I didn't take business studies. Oh, yeah, Stop looking at me. Yeah. Yeah. Did, you, the, did you, Connor? No, I did not. So <laughs> there we go. Yeah, there we go. There'll be some people out there, I'm sure. But there was a T as well. Um, but no, the it's it's about, you know, I'm sure it was a lot more sophisticated than this, but you just got to analyse what's, what's good and what's bad. So the first 18 to 24 months was very much that period of just figuring out. And, you know, you had things such as, John Henry writing open letters on the Liverpool website telling supporters why they didn't sign Clint Dempsey. And <laughs> yes. you just, you know, obviously there was echoes of that when they did it with Philip Coutinho um, to say that he wasn't, you know, leaving the club in uh, last August um, in 2017. But, you know, two very different tones to the statements there. One was like a groveling apology and another was very much a, a public show of defiance. Um which shows you, I suppose, how they've changed over the past five years from 2012 to 2017. But, yeah, I mean, Mike Gordon's come in. They've got that structure there now. They've got Billy Hogan, who is also based in uh, London. He looks after the commercial aspect of things as well. They've got Peter Moore in as the CEO, who doesn't obviously deal with transfers, but in mean, his view, he's done with the uh, the Liverpool Echo um, business, business post, post. Business post yep. today. Um you know, he's sort of detailed how, even though he doesn't look after transfers, it's all very a uh, holistic way of dealing. So he's there to increase revenue, which allows more money for players to come, makes the club more attractive. He's a born and bred scouser. I think he was raised in Garston. Obviously went over stateside. Um, so they've got that structure there. Now everybody knows what their jobs are. I think everybody, crucially, in terms of supporters, knows what their jobs are. Um, and it used to be a little bit 
more muddied than that, I, I feel. So the structure's in place, everybody's working well together, and I think they're working towards a common goal, and I'm sure we'll move on to this, but you know when Roy Hodgson was there and Kenny Dalglish, you know, Dalglish and Camoli, it always felt like those two, certainly from what Camoli said, um, you know, after the fact that they are, there was a bit of conflict there about who signed the players, who made the decisions. Then you had obviously Brendan Rodgers and the and the, and the Fame Transfer Committee, and that was a, a long running feud bubbling under the surface. It just feels like everybody is pulling in the right direction now, and that's what makes a successful football club. I mean, this kind of clarity, uh, Connor, is is important in any any level of business, but certainly a football club where everything is, you know, analysed to the nth degree. You know, you can't just do these kind of deals behind the, the scenes anymore. Everything's out in the open, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the way it's it's made, isn't it? And with it being sort of the national sport and how many fans they've got and everyone wants to hear what's going on all the time, everything you do is going to be looked at, everything you do is going to be scrutinised. And as Christian was saying, you know, when you have a muddied water between people and what their roles are, what jobs are and what people are doing, it just makes for a totally unclear process, a totally unclear club. And you're never going to see success like that. If you do, it's going to be pretty much by chance. Um, you need direction. And yeah, I think they have given it. Is this something that perhaps other recent ownerships of Liverpool have lacked that kind of they know exactly what they want they might not know how to get there immediately but they know exactly what the end game is and where they want to be going certainly um, when you say that you just prefer to Hicks and Gillette do you not I mean, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd vowed not I mean, to speak better I know you didn't but I mean they were just an absolute car crash from start to finish weren't they so we, there's no, we can't really discuss them in much detail but yeah, yeah, they do have a clear vision. I'd also add, to, I think they've been unlucky at times. I think, you know, they've had to deal with one of the, the club's greatest ever defenders, Jamie Carragher, retired under their, not long into their tenure. Um, Steven Gerrard, we saw the, the the end of his Liverpool career under their tenure. And then big stars have wanted away. And it's, it's difficult because they're trying to build to something. But, you know, as much as people say, oh, they sold Coutinho, they sold Suarez, but you can't force these guys to stay. And, um, well, Torres, Torres within, within months within of them months. of them being there, he, he yeah. kind of he was fed up with the, you know, the, the empty prom- the empty promises of the club, and it wasn't because of the new owners, but he basically said, "Look, I've stayed here for an extra year and a half when I could have gone. Yeah. I've had enough now." Yeah, so you know they've had to deal with the losses of massive, massive players, and I think a lot of times people say, "Oh, they've they've sold these players," but they've also got they've had to deal with them departing and got massive fees for the likes of Coutinho and, and Suarez, so. You know, I think they've an element of bad luck in there, and then they've made some poor decisions sort of off the pitch in terms of trying to raise ticket prices the way they did, and perhaps not being savvy enough to know how to deal with fans. And you know, but they've also done some good things. Um, I think getting Tony Barrett as a part of the club has been a, has been a really good thing thing for them to do. It clearly has developed a, a sort of communication mm. between fans and club, and and that. I don't. I don't know whether I don't know enough about other clubs and their structure to say whether they do. They do things the same way, but it seems to me that Liverpool have set up a good mode of communication between their fans. What I would say is that you talk about that they know where where they're going, though, but they don't know how to get there. I still do think it's not not unclear, but. What is FSG's end game? Is, is it's not necessarily a criticism, well, but it's, it's, when, do when they the, want to become a, a, well, a dominant force in world football? Do they want to sustain them? You know, become self sufficient? Do they want to just finish the top four every season? You know, what do they qualify as success? Well, it's funny you should say that because um, 
in his in, we didn't we didn't, <laughs> yeah, we, didn't yeah. in, we didn't interview this but in his interview in business post peter moore he he said something basically said fsg call themselves stewards of the club mike mike gordon is fond of saying we own the financial operating opportunity that is liverpool fc but we don't own the club so the answer probably to your question there is they are businessmen they're here to make money aren't they that's, bas- that's basically it. but then but then to make money they know that the best way of making money and making a profit of this club is that they're winning which is why I always found the arguments going back a couple of years uh, even even last summer with the with the Van Dyke situation um, you know that they're retaining money because they want to make you know they want to make them make as much money out of Liverpool as possible well the only way they're going to make as much money out of Liverpool as possible is if they sign Virgil Van Dyke and, and, and make Liverpool a far more solid team on the pitch and you know, I, I do think that criticism that is levelled at them that they only care about the money. Well, number one, the businessmen, so of course they do. But number two, the way they are going to make more money is by making Liverpool successful. Mm-hmm. So that's never really that's held the, much water. To that's, the, that's the same in any any walk of life. We're exactly the same. We're in journalism ultimately to make money to to have a, have a living, and we want it to be more successful because then we might get more money. Yeah. That's basically well, it. As Christian's just said, if you read back on anything. That Torres was talking about, uh, I think in Cy Hughes' book, Ring of Fire, he was talking about when he was trying to leave and, and Christian Persler was apparently saying to him, no, you can't, because if you leave, we lose a massive asset and the club's value will, will decrease. So, of course, that you know, if they want a, a really valuable asset when they eventually do, which they will eventually do, want to sell up, they need to have the best playing squad the most valuable club, don't they? I think Klopp helps with that as well because yeah. he is so open about things. So, whereas maybe... Brendan wouldn't be as honest and forthright in the media when he's talking about, no, it is my decision not to sign a, a, another player for Virgil van Dijk. I'm more than happy. And everybody says, oh, well, it's it, this is he's, he's just covering for FSG. He's not. like we, we all know now how Klopp operates. If he doesn't want a player, he's not going to spend £40 million. That's not an FSG directive. That is very much a Jürgen Klopp directive. And I think the fact that he's so open... About that and why he's been on the when he's gone on the record to even say it himself, you know, he's not going to spend X amount of pounds on a player he's not happy to sign. That just eases the pressure on FSG a little bit because people could have looked at this summer, for example, and said, well, there was uh, fifty million pound there that was going to go towards Nabil Fakir. Why hasn't that been reinvested elsewhere? But everybody knows because Jurgen Klopp is so open about it. Everyone knows Klopp's philosophy and the way he works. So that pressure isn't there this year as much as it might have been in previous seasons. An interesting for me, man. Glad you meant thing for me, and glad you mentioned the transfer committee. Then, by the way, is that the fact that we had all that talk a couple of years ago of the so-called transfer committee. We hear less of it now, but the reality is, there's always been a transfer committee at Liverpool. There always will be at all the clubs. If just because it became that, it was a name, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a name, it be, and it became that. You know, like a reason for a standoff between Rodgers and FSG, and you know, not wanting to take responsibility for signing the players. If you mentioned then, you know, Klopp takes ultimate responsibility for signing all these players. I mean, does that bother you in any way that that the manager has has the final say, or is that exactly how it should be? No, of course, it's exactly how it should be. You know, we always hail Klopp as a world class manager. And why wouldn't you trust in a world class manager to pick world class players? He knows what he wants. He knows the team he's setting up. At the end of the day, he is the one that's going to pick the team on a match day so why don't you get him to bring in the players that he wants to pick he knows who's going to work well he knows who's going to work well with who and so it makes total sense to me and especially I think it links back a little bit to the fact they are American owners maybe didn't quite understand football as well as 
you would have liked the, to have done when they very first came in. They have realised that they've got a world-class manager now who knows completely the game that, and they complete the team, completely the style of play that they want to have. So let him choose, let him pick and let him, you know, work his magic essentially. Because Joe, one of the first things that FSG did was appoint Damon Camoli as director of football, which obviously follows the model of you know, more European teams. Mm-hmm. I think later on, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying they wanted to get Louis van Gaal in as director of football yeah, with, with Brendan Rodgers and Rodgers was like, no thanks, I'll just crack on with, with by myself, which may have been the initial, you know, the seed of the whole FSG slash transfer committee thing. Well, I think originally they, they obviously got the appointments of Damien Camoli wrong, but then after that, they had a manager who didn't want to deal with their sort of organisation. He didn't want to deal with transfers by committee, if, if that's what you like. Whereas his Klopp was always well used to that, wasn't he? With Dortmund, they had a similar system where they would present players to him and he would then make a final decision. And I think with Brendan, he just that just wasn't that wasn't his cup of tea. He just wanted Benzaki for me, though. Yeah, Benzaki I mean, for me, though. Well, he, 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 well, he wanted the, play, he wanted the, the players that he, that he wanted, the players that he trusted, which a lot of managers do, certainly yeah. older school managers. In fact, let's face it, they all do it. They all have yeah. the, their own favourites. And obviously, he brought in Barini and, and Joe Allen. Yeah, and, and he might have had Ashley Williams, for all we know. You know, it, it, it was a muddled structure, wasn't it? And then, until they got Klopp, things became things then became far more streamlined and, and, and it, everything worked. And um, that's why Klopp has been such the turning point in their tenure because he, he brought it all together, essentially. And, you know, I, I think he was just the perfect man for their model. And I think they've said that recently themselves. Mm. I, think what Klopp, you, I was going to say, has Klopp made FSG believe more in what they're doing? I think it's twofold. I think it is Jürgen Klopp. And I also think it is the explosion in Premier League football worldwide over the past three, four years. There's obviously, the television money's gone astronomical. I think the, the club with is... The o- with the overseas, with the actual... Uh, the domestic rights, they're actually gone down a little bit. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. but in terms of the actual prize money, you see that the, the, the bottom place team get about £140 million pound now, which is just ludicrous. So I think they are earning more money. You know, the club is getting more money. There's obviously more revenue coming from the main stand on match days. Um they do raise by player sales as well, but it, from you know a lot of it. And yes, the net spend up until last season, I think, was probably it was in the positives. But you know they spent 170 million this summer. Even if you're taking out the Naby Keita, when you know does he count as last summer or this summer? Well, you know the, the, depends the, whether you've said they're going to spend the, 200 million. <laughs> <laughs> they, put the, they, they put the money in the bank this season, well, not all the money. You know what, what I mean? No, so. Ultimately, you know, they're, they're very much spending big now, 170 million, the biggest spenders in the Premier League. Yes, they recu- recouped a fair amount of that from Coutinho, um, and they, they did it with a few other players as well. But in general, they've taken that money and they've they've invested it as, as well as they can. So you combine that with Klopp, and that really has sort of said to them, Right, okay, this is the time now. We've got the managers to do it. We've got the resources to do it. We don't maybe have the box as clever as we used to. We, we yeah, haven't yeah. got a problem with spending sixty-five million pound on a goalkeeper. That was unthinkable under FSG, and you know when they first came in, it completely goes against what they initially set out to do. So it just shows that they're adapting, and ultimately in football, you adapt or you perish. I mean, Colin, has it helped FSG the fact that supporters have perhaps come to accept that commercialism in, in the game is now here to stay? There was a lot of resistance to it, say, five, ten years ago. But now when Liverpool announced they've got an official, I don't know, drinks partner or, or something like that, or an official toilet holder partner or any, any, anything you want to say. I don't know why that was the first thing that came into my head, but anything. There doesn't seem to be any kind of the reaction that there was because everybody just accepts that that's part of it. And also that's something that Liverpool have become good at. 
Yeah, no, totally. Um, obviously, up and down football really now there's sponsorships and adverts everywhere and you know there's loads of stuff going on with Liverpool and you know the toilet sponsors I'm not sure who they are but <laughs> yeah. there you go Armitted Shanks I'd probably have a guess <laughs> <laughs> Toilet holder? To- I'm a, to- a toilet what? roll holder oh, or something that's what I meant to say yeah but you know it's quite the American model isn't it really to be pushing the drink sponsor the shirt sponsor the training sponsor the logos on the gym but it's happening so much and there's such a culture of it. Of course, fans are going to just get used to it because it's either get used to it or don't accept it and move on. And that's that's not happening. So I think that helps FSG a lot, especially in terms of the way they operate and bringing in new sponsors and things, of course. You know, generating money is what they're about and that will obviously help. And the fact that fans do accept that as just for what it is now is never going to be any bad thing. And that's, that's as Joe, is of FSG, therefore... They're here at the right time for Liverpool to be able to, because when the Premier League started, Liverpool were one of the, if I said they were the biggest club in England, but Manchester United soon surpassed them over the years. You look at the numbers, Arsenal and Chelsea in terms of that commercialism have gone past them. Mm-hmm. And Liverpool are now playing a bit of catch up and they've managed to close the gap because FSG are the people who are looking after that commercial side of things. Exactly. And I think the Americans are probably the very best at that, aren't they? Mm. And I think football supporters have had to accept it because they've seen that Manchester United led the way that clubs who've cashed in on their commercial success have also had success on the pitch. So I think fans will accept it. You know, you, you notice as soon as the shirt sponsor thing, sorry, the, the sleeve the sponsor thing ca- came in, mm. Liverpool had one almost immediately, didn't they? And Liverpool don't miss out on opportunities now for investment, whereas in the past, I think too often they did. Um, and again, as Christian mentioned before, or as long as that all that money keeps getting recycled and invested back on the pitch, um, long may it continue. Because you want a club which is financially well run is a club that's financially successful on the pitch as well. Isn't and, it? and they're not just putting the money into the pitch; they're putting it into the stands, aren't Infrastructure. they? Infrastructure, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. that's something that you know Liverpool they have dabbled in it over the past twenty twenty five years. You know the club got rebuilt and the the, the Melwood got. Rebuilt and the, and the academy got built and the you know, the, the upper tier on the what's, what's the stand called these days? I still call it the Kemlin. The Kenny Dalglish stand, yeah. So Liverpool have a history of doing that, like all the other clubs. But since FSG have come in, you know, we we know about George Dillette and the the spade in the ground in thirty or sixty days or whatever it was, which never happened. So when they came up with these plans for the main stand, and it took that long for them to get it right. There wasn't there was a slight you know doubt over whether fans again should trust them, but. You only have to look at Anfield on a match day now. It's a completely different experience to what it was, say, three or four years ago, isn't it? I mean, if you don't, if you haven't been to Anfield, if you listen to the podcast, you haven't been to Anfield since the the, the main stand was done. It's not just the the stand itself, which you know in the concourse mm. is is remarkable. The all the sight lines are pretty much spot on. It used to be a little bit windy, but they yeah, filled that in as well. Now it's that, fine. Yeah. Um, but even the outside of the stadium, and, and and we've mentioned this before, it's not for everybody. But they've got a band playing. You know, I I don't care as a thirty-one year old who's how old? I know, <laughs> and the rest. I know. Um, I don't care for it much, but there are obviously a lot of families, there are a lot of um, people who come for for once or twice a season. It's all part of the match they experience, and and they've they've made that a real nice stadium to visit. And I'm sure there'll be people listening who wish it wasn't like that, and and it, it, it hark back to the eighties where it might be intimidating for away fans. And but. Look, it's modern football and that's what it's all about now. The 96th Avenue is really classy. Um, not the biggest fan of the name, but the the, the concept of you know, the way they relocated the, the Hillsborough Memorial, 
all the stones on the pavements, you know, the pavement stones as well with, um, you know, names. And obviously you can buy them and it's a bit of a commercial opportunity in itself, a way to re- generate revenue, but it gives people a chance to feel like they're a part of Anfield. The whole thing, it reminded me of when I w- w- covered the pre-season tour in Boston in 2014. Fenway Park was very much like that. So you can see where that's come from because it's not just about the four stands and what happens inside, but it's about outside as well. What we should and bring up as well is the regeneration that the aim is to do at Anfield mm. as an area because well, it's already it's already, ta- it's well. already taken yeah. on effect though, hasn't it? You have to look at Stanley Park and around that area. Mm. You know, the walk up to the ground. You're right; it isn't intimidating. It's more. It, it's almost. It's it's enjoyable, isn't it? Because you well, it depends which way you come. I'm not sure yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You don't agree? I said I'm not sure City would agree. Well, that's well. You know, they should. You should have walked it. Really clearly, they should have walked it. <laughs> Let's walk through Stanley Park. There's, there's still dog poo alley, isn't there? So, you know. Okay. Well, then, well, then that, that's an example that they've still. They know they've got more work to do, then, isn't it? The Blood Red Podcast, brought to you by Footy Five. Play today at thepools.com. I'd also like to throw a mention in for the nine pound tickets that they've got in the main stands because I did that a couple of times in the mm. last few years when I, obviously I didn't work for the sport team. And, you know, I like to go to Anfield and any opportunity I can get would be great. But if you have a, an L postcode, you can register for some of them. They're not the lesser games, but, you know, your games such as like your Burnleys or whatever, that you can register and get a ticket in the main stand for £9, which I think is so good. You have to just go to the office and prove your postcode and collect your ticket. And, you know, I know there's been loads of issues about ticket pricing, but you can get them for slightly cheaper there now because of what they've done, which is great. I think the tier pricing is, is, is quite good because... I mean, don't get me wrong. It's I don't I don't I still think ticket prices are, are probably a, a touch too high. I think. Um, I think Was it 59, 59 for the most the expensive? Highest. Yeah. But if you go into the Champions League on the cop this this season, it's thirty seven. Thirty seven. Yeah. I think in the Champions League run in two thousand five, it was twenty nine thirty pounds. So it was about, when you think I'm about sure inflation. Five. I've still got a few of my tickets. Were you cop or main stand? Main or, stand. Well, I think. Sorry, I think, you just referred. Yeah, to I was that, the yeah. cop. So I mean, an eight pound increase is not a lot. Yes, it should be a bit cheaper elsewhere, but you've got to build the stand somehow as well. Yeah. You know, they they don't. You can't sell players and reinvest it just you know into the main. You can't sell a player and buy and build the main stand. The the, the money's got to come from all different aspects. And, and let's face it. If, Unless all the clubs do it and make it, and the clubs together make a concerted effort to make sure ticket prices come down, no one club, especially if they want to be successful, is going to raise their head above the parapet and go, "I'll do it," because Why if they get you? if they get left behind and, and if they they start slipping away, fans will criticise them for not being not yeah, competing. So exactly. it is a difficult, and I respect that it's a difficult tightrope to walk. Do um, the away tickets? Yeah, I mean, that wasn't just Liverpool. Mm. That was a lot of. Well, that's league. league that was, league, that was across, yeah. uh, away yeah, tickets. Yeah, that, are that's all a good initiative. Yeah. But that's you know, and if something like that came in for home tickets as well, then you could possibly bring the prices down if they if they introduced us some sort of cap. But then, can you re- can you really realistically do that in in a game as big as the Premier League? Well, it's just the m- thing is, it's demand. Anfield's exactly. sold out for every competitive, more or less sold out for every competitive game since they built the new main stand, and that's brought an extra what, eight nine thousand each game plus hospitality on top of that my big bone of contention is the next generation and the opportunities for younger fans to well get that's tickets. where the nine pound thing comes into it, it? Does, they are they, i mean this again thing they're aware of it and it's not just liverpool it's right across what was it the average age of a supporter is 41 or 42 which it's my age by the way so i'm absolutely average as, as one of our sports desk <laughs> <laughs> colleagues would say but they're trying aren't they and it, it's not always getting it right because we've mentioned we've we've mentioned it once or twice now. But the walkout, I think it was Sunderland, wasn't it? Was it Sunderland? Sunderland, Sunderland two two, two, two years ago, where 
lot of fans who were sitting in the main stand, wasn't it? Because they were aware that their tickets the next season were going to go up to, I think it was 73. 77. Was it 77 or 73? 77. 77 It was 77. Yes, yeah, right. Like 77 pounds. And Liverpool, within a few days, just saw that and went, nah, clearly these are not happy with this. But because the the businessmen, they'll have made the money somewhere else well, it, that money just wouldn't have just disappeared the thing, the thing it'll, have, it'll have been smoke and mirrors but it was the message that was that was being sent out wasn't it the thing about the main stand as well is that it's it it's corporate there's the, the they've, they've managed to build more corporate boxes they've managed to build more corporate seats and more corporate tickets so there is a natural price increase there for the for the corporate fans as well those who who, who spend a little bit more on their tickets so while the main stand was it, it the, the, it's not just that they've got an extra 9,000 seats, it's how many, it's what type of price yeah. those seats are bringing in because the main stand is one of the most expensive stands to sit in. Which well, is, sorry. Sorry, okay. also if you look, if you look at other clubs, I think if you look at Arsenal, um, I mean, I think we've mentioned before, I think you said you liked it, but I'm not a big fan of the Emirates. I think the Emirates That's is, because of the press food. Yeah, the sorry, press food sorry. is very good. And, <laughs> and the as, seats are padded as well, that's quite nice. As a stadium, I just think, think it soulless. could be anyone's anywhere. Cause it just it feels soulless, it just doesn't... I don't think it's right to say it feels soulless, without wishing to go into a big argument about no. Arsenal's ground, because we're talking about FSG, but I know where you're coming but from. My, but, but your argument is probably going to be something like Liverpool, with the main stand, have managed to not only retain the soul, but... Increase but, but and increase. make it better, yeah. Yeah, and and they probably went too far the other way with corporate seats, didn't they? And so you have that big empty circle mm. in the middle tier that, that disappears at half time. So I think Liverpool have, have managed to strike a fine balance between expanding the ground, bringing in more revenues, bringing in more corporate revenues, and keeping the soul, which is so, so important. I mean, there's the Anfield Road end. The reason this hasn't been developed yet is partly because they know that they're not going to have the corporate, or well, not as many going into that stand so they're trying to justify the cost of it as opposed to how much money they're going to get from the extra seats and this is the problem because i on an ideal world and you know it's something i do firmly believe and i think that should be very much a, a dad and lad or mm. you know it always was wasn't it yeah but it can be you know mum and daughter as well not just not just men such a brent thing to say david brent just joined us for a minute we understood the concept yes men and women are allowed no but i i think it should be an opportunity for for youngsters to go on reduced price tickets with the kids uh, with the fathers or the mothers <laughs> everybody is welcome at Anfield um, but ultimately they've got to build a new st- uh, a new stand and that's got to be that's built to... by men and women yeah <laughs> or children um, it's not Qatar come on no but, but no they've got to build the, they've got to build the stand so what do the how how do they afford that? What do they do to to justify that cost? And as great as it would be to have you know ten pound tickets and just a load of like an old school boys pen as the top tier, they can't necessarily do that because they need to justify the cost. They need to fund it. I'd just like to strike my previous comment from the record. Thank yeah, you very yeah, much. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we did have a reaction off of the microphone yeah. to that one. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Joe. I just thought Christian was trying to make a really good point, <laughs> but ruined it by turning to David Brent twice. <laughs> Joe, but yeah, no. inclusive, Joe. It's a, it's a, it's a very good point, I, I, and I'd love to see the Anfield Road then redeveloped because it, if there's any any part of that ground now that desperately needs more. Well, I mean, well, that, the back couple of rows of that Anfield. I yeah. don't know who built it in the first place. Well, if you remember, probably all men. I don't know who built it in the first place, but the sight lines at the back of the Anfield Road lower is are absolutely abysmal. Well, they, they, those little posts originally weren't there when they first built it. It was when Celtic fans came for a friendly and they were jumping up and down on the top tee and everybody realised it was moving and they Ronnie went, oh Moran's dear. testimonial? I think so, yeah, yeah. Now, we mentioned the ticketing thing. 
FSG haven't done everything right. No. And what would you regard then as some of the biggest blunders? Certainly early early in the days, I'm thinking there's one obvious one for me, which was the Luis Suarez racism case. Oh, sorry. Okay. I thought you just thought about tickets. No. Uh, yes, the Luis Suarez racism case, they completely, completely messed that one up. Um, I think the appointments of da- Damien Camoli, I think placing too much faith in him. And I think I don't think he had a particularly great record. It wasn't like they were coming in and, and getting a guy that was like world-renowned as being this brilliant scout. He'd been a scout at Arsenal, I think, hadn't he? And Tottenham before that. Um, so I thought that was was a bad mistake. Um, keeping Rodgers probably beyond the summer. Um, although, I'm saying that, it worked, still, out, it's worked, worked out, out for well, the best, didn't it? Yeah. Didn't it? Um, and then... Um, I don't know. I don't, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because things have worked out and they've got the right manager in the end. Um, a lot of the criticism has been ongoing from fans who were fearing something that never really happened, which is an in, invariably it's to do with transfers, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Such as, oh no, Coutinho's gone, we're never going to spend the money and oh look, we've just bought Alisson and Fabinho and got Cater in mm-hmm. and you know, they, and would have sound like here had the situation been slightly different. Yep. They just yeah. seem that a lot of that is... That, it's that fear, isn't it, that they're going to get a bit left behind? And this, this, there are fans that still, for everything that we've just said, that still don't trust them and never will trust any owners of the football club. Of course, and I think that there are fans that, unless they're like Man City's owners, will never be happy. And I think you've you've just got to realise that the owners City have gotten the way Roman Abramovich was when he took over at Chelsea. It's just like one in one in a million, isn't it? It just becomes an arms race yeah, then as well, yeah. doesn't it? Because okay, so you match Manchester City. What player, if so, let's say Sheikh Mansour decides to hop over from Man City to, to Liverpool now. What player do Man City to Liverpool get that they can't at the moment? So, yeah, Man City, yeah, that's very true. It just feels mm-hmm. like, and and that's not saying that they're not ambitious, it just feels like the situation that they've got. They, you know, everybody loves Jürgen Klopp, or a lot of people do love Jürgen Klopp. Um, but what's the problem with Brendan? <laughs> 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 everybody, everybody loves Klopp, don't they? And um, you've got to realize that he's very much. The, the outlier to all of this in the, in, the, in the sense that he's the catalyst because even if Sheikh Mansour took over, Jürgen Klopp would not be comfortable spending 150 million on a player who might be 28, yeah, 28, 29, or, you know, would, would he want to bring in Neymar for 200 million? I don't think that is how Klopp really and ultimately well, you say that but he just spent 75 million on Van Dijk and that was the player that he knew that he wanted if he wants Neymar okay maybe not for 200 million but if it was 100 million and it's the person who can make the possibly, difference possibly but, F- but FSG would pay that that's what, yeah. that, 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 but that's what I mean so yeah. so what was you know it becomes so let's say this is a purely hypothetical situation but let's say someone said no we're only dealing at 100 million I still believe FSG would have paid it if Ian Klopp would have said like, he is worth 100 million it just gets to the point where if everybody's got these uber-rich owners, then it, it it just becomes an arms race, doesn't it? And I I think the way Liverpool are operating now is 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 the right way in terms of the the mistakes that they made. I, I do feel like you know they still they still the first the first the first three three years I think were were very much. I know it was learning from mistakes, but it felt like they were they were kept on repeating the same mistakes. Well, like what? In terms of transfers, right? I feel like in terms of transfers, I feel like they there were times when they probably could have signed players, or they could have given a little bit more investments, and they decided not to. Maybe it was because they didn't necessarily back the back Rogers, or Rogers wasn't fully in tune with what they wanted. As you mentioned, they initially 
said to Brendan, well, we want Louis van Gaal to, to come in as your director of football. That should have been a warning sign straight away that, hold on, this is going to be a bit of a tumultuous relationship because from day one, we're not on the same page and we've already ceded to what Brendan Rodgers wants. It handed him absolute power. Mm. And then they started to try and take it away yeah, from him, yeah. you know, gradually. Um, but, you know, it's, could, they, could they maybe be a little bit more visible? Um, I, personally, no. I'm playing devil's advocate here. But fans would like to see John Henry maybe in the Anfield director's box a little bit more. Um, but, maybe you th- the, but you think no? You're not bothered? But I don't they, think it, I don't see what... A full-time but, but they do, and then in yeah. constant communication, if not John Henry, I think that's what people have to realise is that... The structure of FSG, it's not like, although he is sort of the owner, hmm. you know, John Henry is not this, you know, big boss who yeah, sort yeah. of runs roughshod over absolutely everything. He's People not Roman Abramovich. No, he exactly. Sheep, sure. he, no. He is, it's it's a different structure. Or Mike Ashley. Or Mike Ashley. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. Do you, do you feel as though then, Connor, that, okay, though Christian just pointed out that in the early days they kept on making the same mistakes over and over again when it came to transfers, that actually learning from the mistakes, certainly in the last three or four years, has been one of their strengths yeah of course we can just literally have a look back at the last 12 months at the sort of caliber of players they've brought in you know you've got your van dyke and Keita and robertson people like that um and it doesn't feel like we're about to sell anybody which is obviously a change from suarez and coutinho so of course you know i don't think the mistakes have just happened in the first couple of years you know you can't force guys to stay and i know there was obviously some underlying issues and why they wanted to leave but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a better culture there now because they don't want to leave or it doesn't feel like they want to leave at least and it doesn't feel like we're about to sell them. So that goal that they're working towards and as we've just discussed this whole podcast, the most valuable team, get by winning, get the best players in, etc., etc., is how they've learned and we're seeing the fruits of that I, I labour think, now. I think there was a run and as Connor said, the worst sort of mitigating circumstances, but there was that run where Suarez went, Sterling went, yeah. you know, and as Joe said, Carragher had gone and then Gerard went. Gerard went. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously Coutinho to a degree, although Klopp very much sort of took the brunt of, of that criticism yeah. by saying it was my decision. It feels like now the next thing is, and, and, and from all the noises that Liverpool are making, if it was going to happen in the summer, the, the, if, if Real were to come in for Mo Salah, for example, mm. it'd be very much firmly rejected. Um, but that's the next step now to ensure that Liverpool is a not you know even yeah to shake off the selling club tag is very much firmly gone and I feel like that's the next step in terms of if a team comes in a Barcelona or Real Madrid comes in for Firmino Mane or Salah it's very much a no and a final no right without wishing to drive down Tangent Boulevard we will drive up to it and have a peek peek down it we'll, we'll talk talk about 62 signings FSG have made or certainly Liverpool have made 62 signings during FSG's time in control of the club. I mean, are there any that stand out for whatever reason, Joe, like best, worst, or or even, uh, as Christine will talk about in a bit, ones that didn't happen? Well, the absolute best by, I think, well, not say by a million miles <laughs> because Salah has obviously been a great signing, but the absolute best and the biggest statement is Virgil van Dijk. It, it showed that not only will Liverpool get one of the greatest defenders in the world, but they were also ready to pay Massive, massive money for players, and, 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 and a statement, and an example of them learning from an Don't early mistake. mistake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's the one for me. I'd pull out. Um, but if you if you go back and look at some of the early signings, they were very much trying to get value for money, weren't they? They were, they were signing guys for between eight and twelve million. That sort of 
Well, there was also the, the whole Moneyball approach, which nobody mentions yeah. anymore, do they? And and not sign. Was it anybody under the age, over the age of twenty four as well? That was always Camoli always maintained, yeah. apart from say Bellamy, who was free, free. so they didn't pay for him. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, they, they've changed a lot in their style. I just want to add Christine's point just earlier as well. The, the bottom line for everyone, and so it should be, will be trophies, and and that they'll be measured on success by trophies. And but but we could be sitting here, and I know it's a, a big but. With five extra, they've won one trophy in their whole time, but they've come close to five extra ones. So you know, including the Premier League. And um, how are they to blame Champions for League. that? Where's, um, the, exactly, where's the two yeah, points we'll, coming we'll, from? We'll, we'll come to that in a minute. We'll come to that in a minute. So going back to the Sorry, the transfers, ruined that. You have ruined that slightly, but anyway, going back to the transfers. <laughs> I think Virgil Van Dijk is the one for me that just stands so far out. From any the any um, nasty ones? Any nasty ones? Oh, um, in terms of finance, you'd have to say financial hit with Andy Carroll. Andy Although I, I, I don't think any of us have a problem with him. or quite liked him actually. Yeah, I quite yeah, like yeah. Him, yeah. Mario Balotelli, yeah, I think, was, Balotelli. was probably one where I think all round people needed to put their foot down and just say, "Look, we'll we'll have to just do without." I don't was that, even was think that? it was necessarily Balotelli. Well, it was Balotelli. That's the same thing <laughs> exactly to say. Balotelli. But it was the situation which led to it, and that that was again where the criticism of them was very much deserved because. You know, Luis Suarez has been leaving for a long time. Mm. He left very early in the summer transfer. Got a lot of money for him, and somehow you've stumbled from mm. Alexis Sanchez to Loic Remy to one of Eto or Balotelli. I mean, mm. how does that even happen? I don't know. But Tell it us. did. <laughs> <laughs> it did happen. That's how it does happen. Yeah. But yeah. that was a club that a manager who, let's, let's be fair, probably didn't quite know what he wanted because he just said two weeks early he didn't want Balotelli and would never sign Balotelli. A club that perhaps didn't have the the courage and their convictions to say to him, no, we're not buying a player if you don't think you don't think he's worth buying. But he did just take them and to second in the Premier League. Yeah, so exactly. Yes. And, and if, he, if his stock's never going to get any higher, so he needs to. If he's, he's never going to have more power in that mm-hmm. sense, and mm-hmm. so you could argue that's the beginning of the end for him, wasn't it? He had that yeah. power, and then look what he did. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to send people's iPhones and other phone devices on fire here. I think for. Twelve million pounds. I think Jordan Henderson's been a very good bit of business. Twelve. Sixteen. Was he? Yeah, he was like sixteen, eighteen, twenty. Wasn't oh, he? in which case, yeah. what a waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I think he's he's the club captain. They got him at a young age. It was very much a time where maybe they were signing players on the back of stats that maybe he's, didn't have much relevance. But sorry, I just wanted to quickly say he does realise that. This is already going to be the FSG Apologist podcast. Yeah, yeah. Now we've just brought Jordan Anderson into it too. So, Jordan, love from Lauren. Connor, who, who I'm surprised neither of you said Lou Suarez to be honest. But for 22 million, okay, I know there was the whole the the couple of incidents where he got a bit oh, hungry and, and other stuff. But the profit yeah. and the amount of you know he almost won them the league. It was without him, Liverpool wouldn't have come anywhere close to winning it 2014. I still don't think you can get away from Virgil Van Dijk. We wrote an article. He's, I know he's massive. The other day, didn't we? We had a look at what the best moment under Klopp was, and I think all of us pretty much picked Van Dijk being signed because he's just absolutely sensational and I think yeah as you said this just shows massively what they wanted to do but clearly the worst signing for me is Balotelli I thought he could have been so good I was so excited to see him come up with him arrogant buzzing for him and then he's just I did love Balotelli before when he was at Man City I thought he was the biggest idiot yeah basically well the thing is it's almost like he was without the again. Manager, but, the but, manager didn't back him. But and also he was trying too hard to to not be himself, wasn't he? That was a problem with Balotelli, I think. And then that's ultimately down to the wrong player being signed. And as you say, FSG mistake was giving Rogers so much of a say at that time of, of his career. Can I just throw another one out there again? Phil Coutinho cost eight point five million well, pounds. Well, and it's in the same transfer window as Daniel Sturridge, who cost. 
12. That was that was a real sort yeah. of that that was that, the, big, was, that, was, that the was the window of, which of the Rogers 2013 yeah. 14. Yeah. I mean that both of those say what you want about storage you know I know he's had his injury problems but again what was it 12 million 12.5 so 20 million for those two is absolutely phenomenal and when really? you think about what Liverpool have sold Coutinho for mm. wow that's You think in the first 5 years of FSG Storage came in and was absolutely like class scored so many goals and you know it's absolutely perfect signing so yeah I completely get that you could argue then that Coutinho is absolutely the perfect FSG signing from what they wanted when they first came in a player who they got cheap young did a really good job for Liverpool then sold for ridiculous amounts of money for a huge profit certainly yeah I think he's I think any club is a perfect player for, yeah. isn't it? Not just FSG. Yeah, but he, he <laughs> but was the perfect example of what they wanted to do, isn't he? About redemption as well, yeah. wasn't it? You know, he, he did fall off the radar a little bit at, at Inter. Here's one that I think was probably one of the worst signings that we might not mention because I don't think there's a bit of goodwill for him. It was Christian Benteke. I think, you know, they, they chased after him, signed him. It was a muddle, again, another muddle signing. It felt it felt more like the manager than the club. They'd Like Christian mentioned before, they'd signed Firmino um, and... He didn't even fit into the Liverpool style of play at all. So it was like Rodgers started that new season with a completely different mentality, a completely different style, and it just didn't fit together. And they ended up... All right, he didn't have the worst of seasons, did he? Let's face it, he scored 10 goals. I think Klopp liked him. He clearly well, Klopp, Klopp tried to sign him when he was at Borussia yeah. Dortmund. And he clearly wasn't a bad fella, was he? He was clearly a, a professional, worked hard, but it just didn't feel right. And for Liverpool to spend so long trying to sign him, it was just... It was a strange decision. Can they just go to go back to Coutinho then for what you just said? Then, mm. does that feel like that is sort of the end of of a, of a particular FSG era? Do you think that is the line drawn under it now? That 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 is sort of the last one where he signed for low, he sold for high. Is that the end of that FSG mentality? Well, it looks like it could be. I also Not think that. I, well, I also think that you're already thinking of making some notes down on that particular <laughs> yeah. one. You, you, you smell a story there. I do, but but <laughs> you, you see where I'm coming from in yeah, terms well, of. It. It. I think I, I think he is the archetypal previous that's, FSG yeah. signing, but now he's gone. So is that does that draw the line under it? Well, Unless he sell Andy Robertson for 190 million to Inter Milan. <laughs> well, don't forget that Coutinho <laughs> wanted to go to Barcelona because that's where his I think his wife is from, or, or he'd some li- kind he'd of lived there. He yeah. lived there. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, it was it was it was Suarez. That situation yeah, was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So he'd, he'd obviously, you know, he'd been there. So that's different. And also, as much as we love Liverpool, there is always Barcelona, Real Madrid. They're always going to come knocking. The thing is, Liverpool are no longer selling to the likes of Chelsea and Man City, which is what they were doing for the first couple of years when FSG were there. So, and now they're buying players off of Arsenal primarily, no longer Southampton. But you know, they're buying off the rivals. Who else did they buy from? Somebody fairly decent. Well, they got Milner on a free. Milner I know that's Milner, yeah, yeah. But but well, look at the job he's done. Mm. You know, so so mm. there's there's been that kind of sea change. You can't ever imagine like them selling a player to to City or Chelsea anytime soon, can you? It wouldn't happen no. anymore because they are their rivals now. Whereas five six years ago, realistically, they weren't. Well, when Christian mentioned before, look, if Real Madrid came in for Salah, I still think it's very difficult for Liverpool to resist those sorts of clubs. Man- Manchester United can't resist mm. the job with Ronaldo. There, there will They've be some well players... They've done well with De Gea, though, haven't they, to yeah, keep hold of him? Yeah, they have. But there will be some players that will insist that they want to leave for a Real Madrid or a Barcelona. And I think that is just the way the football pecking order works, mm. unfortunately. But like you said, if Liverpool aren't selling to their rivals or they aren't losing them to, to clubs that you would consider equal in terms of like an AC Milan, for example, then 
then yeah, that, that's where you need to be. One final thing then, I think we touched on it before, before I told you to stop, Joe, is what, <laughs> what, um, what then do FSG have to do next? What's the next step? And I think we all know what the answer is going to be. See, if you'd have said to me at the start of the podcast that you'd had well, that written well, down no, in your little notes. Just don't want to give it away. Yeah, yeah. What, what are we going to talk about today? Is already FSG. <laughs> Okay, what 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 about? I don't know. We'll just make it up as we go along. <laughs> yeah, so, but he's not. He's got a pad there full of questions and yeah, notes. The, and I would like to point out it's one page of a pad, and the top half is from the last pod that we did. So it's not that many notes, to okay. be fair. All right. Well, anyway, anyway, the the bottom it's line. Not like, is it's not trophies. like Paul Gorst and his multitude of <laughs> stats in his yeah, head. Yeah. It, the bottom line is trophies, and you always see you'll see you'll see these people say one trophy in in eight years, and and yeah, I take that and. It, it's obviously absolutely true, but it ignores context, does it, in the sense that they came so close to five different trophies in that time, including the two biggest trophies that any Liverpool fan wants to see the club win. They were so, so close to a Premier League title. They, were, they, they oh, got yeah. so, so close. In their tenure, they've got to the final of all, of all five of they can, yeah. European yeah. competitions. So. You could probably make a case in every time, every time they've lost a final, there's been quite a lot of bad luck involved, you know, whether it's a Andy Carroll had their cleared off the line in FA Cup final or a, a you know a mad second half performance in, in one or some missed penalties in another. Yeah, penalties. Know, it's, 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 it's a fine line between success and failure and FSG have probably fallen on the failure side in terms of trophies but they could have very easily gone the other way. Devil's advocate for the moment. Is, is, Again? Is the, I know, it's just one of those. Is the Champions League final the one where fans could rightfully maybe point out and say, you know, Mo Salah goes off injured and you're bringing on Adam Lallana who's been injured himself for, for the vast majority of the season. Is that the is that the one final where, which is ironic because it's probably at the time when FSG have been at their strongest and obviously got got as much race as, as they have during the tenure at Anfield. Is that where somebody points to it and says, well, why wasn't there a 20 million, 25 million pound winger on the, on the bench? That's the only one where I can point to in a final and you say... Was 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 a not a lack of investments. Well, don't forget the FSG. guy who was injured. Uh, Oxford Chamberlain spent thirty five million pounds on. Where an awful lot of people thought mm. that he, he why were they signing? Why were yeah. they signing him? And he would have come. Well, I mean, he would have been starting, but maybe he would have went out <coughs> on the wing, and then somebody else would have come. I'm just that's that's the only one because, as Joe says, it's all people talk about Klopp's losing final record. And, There's and, so many fine margins yeah. in those finals. It's and, and they already knew that Cater was coming. They'd already mm. agreed the year before, so mm. there was t- you know two things that had been taken away from them. So. There. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Look, look, just tell the devil it. The pure and obvious answer is we're in the Premier League, isn't it? And I'm excited to see if that happens this year. Yeah, I, I to think the point. To the point. That is it. What no, about, it is, uh, are we talking about any other infrastructure in terms of down road end? Do we want to see that get built? In the yes, next I think everybody does. Yeah, and, I'll, and I'll keep on hammering the points of getting the next generation into, into the stadium for cheap, affordable tickets. Fair enough. And so that should that should four decent bullet points. For them it to is, yeah, 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 yeah. I think you can. F A O F S G. Take note. Yeah, take it. He's also he's made a note of that as well. Mm. Uh, right, that should do us then. Uh, join us later this week where we will look ahead to some actual football as Liverpool yeah. look forward. <laughs> 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 yeah, we, we, honestly, we were reduced to having a yeah. nice house at the weekend. Yeah. Really. That, oh, you never how, mentioned that, it, did you? That's how great. Yeah. Well, there's nothing to mention. None of us really. remember it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Although we did meet, we did meet Paul Ghosts. Dad, father, yeah, mm. tall Paul Senior, the Godfather. He it, it was like meeting Tony Soprano. He had a very strong handshake, and he's, he's but he's not as tall as tall Paul. Hmm, interesting. Right, that'll do us then. Join us late this week where we look ahead to Liverpool travelling to Huddersfield Town. Cheerio. 
You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.